Steve, thank you for joining us. I really love the fact that we managed to get you on board. It's an honor for us to actually speak to you and hear all your views about investment strategy. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. So let's get straight down to it. Um, what is a recipe of a good investment strategy? Is it gut feel? Is it work? Is it logic? Is it homework? What is it? How do you build a fantastic investment strategy? I think there are a few different components. Um, you need a little bit of understanding of the components of an investment strategy. You know, are you going to invest in property? Are you going to invest in stocks, bonds, whatever? How is that going to fit your ethics? You, you might be an Islamic investor. You might be a green ESG investor, whatever it might be. But um, it's difficult to piece all those together for the novice investor. And I think, therefore, the, the simplest way to start is to try and work backwards and to say, where am I heading in life? Where do I want to live? How much is it going to cost me? You know, when I'm 60, how much, uh, if, I, if I can retire or be financially independent, then how much will I need to live on in today's money? And let's say it's like $5,000, for example. And you say, well, where's that money going to come from? Do I want it to come from stocks and bonds? Do I want it to come from property? Do I have some massive pension? from my previous oil and gas company, like what, whatever it might be for you. And um, then the building blocks start to fall in place. Because if you say, well, I think it's probably stocks and bonds, you say, right, well, you know, here's a target. This is the size of portfolio that you need. And then secondly, uh, you are going to need to get good at investing in stocks and bonds. So that gives you some kind of purpose. And then thirdly, you're going to have to think, well, what's the mix of stocks and bonds that's actually going to um, actually going to grow my portfolio based on how quickly I want to become financially independent? If you are 58 and you want to retire in two years time, it might be a different story to your children being 10 and wanting to retire when they're when they're 60. So so I think those if you can start to stick some some poles in the ground around what's your future life plan, then you can link that back to your investment strategy. Otherwise, your strategy is just directionless and you'll have no clue what you're doing. And the moment the markets crash or you read some article uh, saying, you know, everything's about to go, go wrong or some uh, advisor tells you, oh, yeah, this is the right thing for you just because I said so, then you can get tempted off the path. So stick to your life plan and then let your money plan follow that life plan. So, so I, I completely get that. But I think when it comes to asset allocation, I think there is a lot to say about the time horizon, right? And there's a huge fear. I think one of the biggest fear people have is losing money, right? I think we, off the record, we spoke earlier on and, and you were telling me how, you know, if you go to any of... of uh, financial advisors or you know often than not or even the robo advisories they will ask you well what are you willing to lose and are you willing to lose 10 percent five percent and 20 percent of your portfolio if you ask me i don't want to lose any more money i, I just don't i whether it's one percent or five percent i've worked hard for each and every penny so one of the biggest fear is losing money how do you come across or how do you get across that hurdle of I don't want to lose money, but at the same time, I do want my money to grow. Isn't there a fine line between, okay, you know what, are you willing to, 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 to lose 20%, but 
that means you've got an 80% chance of making 40. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on getting over that hurdle of, of fear of losing money? I think if you're going to have an investment portfolio, you have to get used to taking a bit of risk. And uh, one of the problems many people have in their life is that they just don't take enough risk. You know, we all have family members who keep all their money in their bank account or under their bed, and then it gets eaten by inflation. And, and so I, I liken investing a little bit to jumping into the swimming pool, right? At first, like you dip your toe in, it's very cold, and you're like, oh, how am I going to handle this? And then when you jump in, you kind of realize uh, it's not too bad and you just get on with it. But you also need to learn to swim. And, and with investing, you need to understand a bit of the, the risks that you take and how to reduce them. So obviously the risk with the stock market, for example, is that uh, stocks crash and you lose some of your money. That's the fear that we all have. And, and fear really gets in the way of investing because it, 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 it makes you more likely to pull your money out or to do something that you're going to regret. Fear and greed, both pretty bad for the stock market, uh, for stock market investing. And so you have to think, well, what can I do to minimize my fear and uh, <laughs> uh, or minimize your, your, your uh, studio falling apart? This is what happens when you just move house, things, uh, <laughs> things start to fall over. So you can think, well, one of the ways the risk that you're taking, obviously, is that you have bought, invested in a stock fund at 100, and it goes down to 80. You've lost 20%. And you are going to feel terrible because you, you might be new to investing. You've earned this money the hard way. You don't like the fact that your money has gone down 20%. But notice that I'm not saying you've lost 20% of your money because if you buy at 100, and it goes down to 80 and you do nothing, then you haven't lost anything because it may most likely go back up to 100, then 200, then 1,000. And you can sell at 1,000. You've made 900 profit. It doesn't matter that it ever went down to 80 in the past. But if you buy at 100, it goes down to 80 and you sell, you've crystallized that loss and you really have lost that 20%. So the art of investing in the stock market is really one of the key features, I think, is about being in it for a long time, having a very long time horizon. And for that, we're talking 40, 50, 60 years, well beyond you moving country, moving back to your home country or wherever it might be, well beyond retiring, like literally until death, maybe even beyond death to, to your, your children or charities or whatever, inheriting your assets. Uh, you've got a very long investing time horizon. Then it doesn't matter what the stock market is doing. If it goes down, ah, it's an you know, opportunity for you to buy a bit more. And I think when you have that long time horizon, it takes the fear out of it. And fear is what's going to ruin your investing. So I love that. And I want to go a little bit deeper into this. So you did mention about fear, and I completely agree with you. And I'm with you on this, right? When I first started um, investing in the stock market, that was my biggest fear until I understood I went through two crashes and I didn't have to sell. So that literally gave me so much more confidence saying, actually, you know what? I actually don't need to sell. I'm not in desperate need of that money. And therefore, I don't. So what I want to go down the path a little bit is, is 
how do you make sure that whoever is actually starting to invest the money in whatever asset class that they're putting it in, how do you make sure that there is never going to be that need, or as much as we can predict, of, oh no, I need the money now and I need to, how do I get around that need of having to sell at the wrong time? I think you need a savings plan as well as an investment plan. So, so, and by that, I don't mean a formal savings plan sold by insurance companies, but but some kind of plan for your money. So, so um, ultimately, what why would you need to sell? You're either going to sell because you're terrified or you're going to sell because you literally need the money to buy something else. You might have lost your job and you have to pay off some debt or you want to buy a house or a new car or something like that. And, and we can protect against both of those problems by having a cash buffer. So ideally, you set aside six months total expenses and you have that in cash in various bank accounts, which is very, very boring. What that money does just sitting there is it enables you to take risk with the rest of your money. And then you have another layer of protection, which is looking ahead, any big expenditures that you have coming up over the next one to five years. So you might be doing an MBA, you might be having a wedding, you might be buying a new car, maybe um, maybe getting a property deposit. Because the stock market's too unpredictable over one to five years, very predictable over 10 to 30 years, but unpredictable over one to five years, you, you can't rely on putting money in the stock market and then needing to take it out for a car. Or so what you're saying is don't plan to buy a house in the next three years and put the deposit money into the stock market thinking it's going to grow and then depend on that to put the deposit on the house. Exactly, because you might plans. find you have a much a much smaller house. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, so you have a whole series of buffers here in that you have your cash buffer, you have your uh, one to five year kind of sinking funds towards these major expenditures, and then you have some kind of downside protection that you're investing in as well, whether it's a bond fund, a sukuk fund, gold, something like that that is not necessarily going to move with the stock market. What that means is that if you need to sell something and the stock market is down, you never want to sell your stocks in a downturn, then first, you go to your cash buffer. Second, you can go to your sinking funds. Third, you can go to your downside protection, your bonds or your gold or whatever. And, and it's only when you blow through all of those uh, that you would even need to touch your stocks. And that's that helps you to have that long time horizon. That helps you to manage your risk. Oh, and that also helps you to get out the fear of, you know, what if something goes wrong? Because you've got a few buffers before you have to touch the assets that would actually execute or crystallize the losses if you're in a, in a downturn. Um, let, let's talk about time horizon. Um, we talk a lot about allocation of assets. You know, many of the questions we get at Yabi is, but how much do I put where? You know, okay, fine, I've got this great investment strategy and I, I'm comfortable investing in stocks, I'm comfortable investing in bonds, I'm in, comfortable in buying real estate, but how much of my money should go where here? So there is that, and I think, um, a lot of it, to my perspective, is, is on a time horizon. It all depends on how long to financial independence D-date to actually figure out what investment allocation, uh, your, your investment allocation should be. Can you, can you talk a bit about that? Is, you know, what is the situation at a 20, for a 20-year-old? What's the situation for a 30-year-old? What's the situation for a 50-year-old? Does your asset allocation change or do you start at 20, 25 and then you stop there and you just leave the money there and do not touch it and just keep adding every month? Or would you actually go back in and reallocate different asset classes? So what I tend to do is I 
I treat real estate and stocks and bonds very separately because I think that they're, they're different beasts. And, and I always link it back to the end goal, which is that you want some income in retirement that you don't want to work for. So whether it's like if you want to live on $4,000, whatever, um, a month, where's that going to come from? And that is really based on personal preferences, which can change over time. It's not really going to be based on like market opportunities, I think, over that long time horizon to retirement. So let's say uh, you want that 4,000. You could say, well, okay, I'm going to have 50% of that coming from stocks and bonds and 50% of it coming from real estate. So I've got that diversification there, but it means that you need to get good at real estate buy to let, and you need to get good at stocks and bonds. Now, so, so sorry, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to just um, ask you a question right here. And I think a lot of our audiences will actually ask this. What do you mean by the passive income will come from stocks and bonds? Are we talking about dividends? Are we talking about the interest rates on the bonds that you get back? Real estate, everybody knows you rent the house out, you get a rent back. How do we make passive income from stocks and bonds? Yeah, great question. So the, the problem with stocks and bonds is you, you, you can have a portfolio of a certain size. How much can you take out of it on a regular basis that is sustainable? We've got two sources. Firstly, you've got those dividends that uh, that will be paying out maybe every quarter or so. And typically that's about 2% per year from your stock portfolio. Um, will come to you as cash in your brokerage account. But then also you can sell stocks. Um, so you have, you know, ideally, there's there's uh, the 4% rule, which is kind of a, a rule of thumb for how much you can take out each year. So in year one of retirement, if you have, say, a million, a million dollars in your portfolio, sounds pretty good, then you can take out 4% of that, uh, which is 40,000. And adjusted for inflation, you can kind of do that every single year for the rest of your life, knowing that you'll never run out of money. Now, because where's it will that keep growing year on year? Exactly, exactly. So where's that going to come from? Um, some of it's going to come from dividends, roughly half, and some of it's going to come from you actually selling the stocks or bonds. And, and so that's how you transform a portfolio of a certain size in stocks and bonds into an income stream okay. of a certain size. So then you can say, okay, I want um, eight, let's say three quarters of my retirement income to come from stocks and bonds. And I want 25% of it to come from real estate or maybe nothing. Maybe you say, I hate real estate, right? I've watched my parents struggle with real estate or I personally bought a buy to let and I hated it, whatever your situation is, or you might love it, whatever it is. And you say, right, if I'm going to be good at property, buy to let real estate, then I have to understand what I call the return on hassle, right? Because there is hassle with in, involved in investing. That's the first time I hear this uh, term, a return and, on hassle. Uh, uh -huh. Return on hassle. I think this is the important point because like when you're 80, you're going to be tired and you're not going to want to be dealing with this stuff, right? So the hassle factor for real estate is dealing with solicitors, government regulations, tax, exploding boilers, contractors, disappearing tenants, all of these things. Right. The uh, and that is how you earn your money in real estate. And the more you push onto an agent, the less control you have and the less money you make uh, because they take a bigger fee. Now, if we look at the stock market, the hassle 
is simply how you earn your money is not panicking when the stock market is down. Right? Once you've learned how to do, how to invest sensibly, it's actually very easy. And you just um, you just invest every month or you take your money out every month, depending on what your, your life stage is. But how you earn your money is by not panicking when the stock market crashes 20%, 50%. It's quite capable of crashing these amounts um, over, over a long time period. And um, Steve, one of the areas that I'm always intrigued about is, you know, is investment allocation the same at 20, 30 or 50? Obviously, your horizon that we talked about earlier on is extremely important. And um, you've recently just mentioned on, on how, you know, there is an, an asset allocation between real estate and stocks and bond, and you look at them as totally two different beasts altogether. We talked about hassle, hassle uh, 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 returns because of the hassle of actually getting it all done when it comes to real estate. And um, I would love to now focus on really the time horizon from the 20, the 30 to the 50. I mean, how do you decide that allocation at the different stages of your life? And does it change? So um, when it comes to stocks and bonds, obviously you've got stocks for growth and you've got some kind of downside protection um, to protect you against those, those periods where the stock market crashes, right? Because that's the downside of the growth. And, and that downside protection typically comes from bonds, store, uh, bonds, gold, sukuk, if you're an Islamic investor, that sort of thing. Um, ideally, you have a, you know, I really believe in, in, in what I call the, the Pac-Man portfolio, right? So like a global stock fund and a global government bond fund. This is literally all you need. You just need two funds when you're investing, right? Just to keep it simple. But what you then have to think about is like, well, how big is Pac-Man's mouth going to be, right? Is it is it going to be mainly growth and then a little bit of downside protection? Or as you get older, you know, then you start to have more downside protection here because you can't afford the volatility in the stock market when you're retired. So, so here's the here's the deal for me. I think when you are one year old, you got a very long time horizon. Anyone below, say, 25, you can be 100% stocks. If you're saving for your kids, uh, your kids' future, not necessarily their education, but like their long-term future, um, if they're one or 15 or 24, you can kind of put them in 100% stocks because they can ride out the ups and downs of the stock market. But beyond that, I think then you need to start having increasing amounts of downside protection. And the way to figure this out, I think there's three things to think about. And the first thing is, what is your time to retirement? Or what I'd say is financial independence. What is your timeline to actually starting to live on this stuff, stopping work and starting to live on the income from these stock and bond investments? And because some people, you know, my, my friend Sebastian retired at 33, right? So, so when he was 30, he needed to start behaving investment-wise as if he was 57 years old, right? As if he was three years away from retirement. So, so what is your timeline? Are you planning to retire age 60 or 50 or 40 or, or whatever it might be? That's the key thing. The second thing would be um, what other investments do you have that is, is going to generate income for you. Because remember, if you if you have 80% of your retirement income coming from real estate, buy to let, I don't really care what your asset allocation is in, in your stocks and bonds. It just makes up that little 20% bonus income. Because even if that completely evaporated, you'd probably do okay. But if you're one of these people who's like, I hate real estate, 
bit like me <laughs> if you just like you can't be bothered to deal with all the hassle of real estate and you're going to go full in on stocks and bonds then yeah you need to think carefully about that downside protection you need to have that right mix of stocks and bonds but then the third aspect is going to be what's your tendency to panic and this is probably the most important thing if you cannot handle the uh, the ups and downs of the stock market, you probably need to be more conservative. Whereas, as you said before, if you've gone through a couple of downturns and you realize, oh, actually, I was more chilled out and robotic than I realized, um, then you can afford to take a bit more risk. Now, as that changes over time, below 25, I'd say 100% stocks. Um, if you're under 45, you can probably get away with 80% you know, stocks, 20% bonds, and and that should uh, give you a little bit of comfort if the stock market crashes at least you've got a bit of protection in your bond portfolio hopefully it's either going to go up in value or it's going to be relatively stable and um and then finally when you are retired there's the kind of classic 60 40 portfolio 60 percent stocks 40 percent bonds there's also a phrase which is your age in bonds and so if you were 70 you'd be 70 percent bonds or 90, or like my grandmother, 103. Uh, was she 103% bonds? Absolutely not. I think this rule of your age in bonds is total rubbish. And I just want to warn you against it. Because the problem with that is that if you're going to use the 4% rule, if you're going to take 4%, 4% of, your, of your portfolio out every year to live on, you need some growth to replenish that. And if you, and therefore you need stocks if you start moving your portfolio too much towards bonds, too much towards downside protection, then you just have more protection and no growth and you won't have the growth to pull it out. So my mum, who's now 79, she's 60, 40. When my gran was still around at 103, she was 60, 40, 60% stocks, 40% bonds with downside protection. That is the retirement portfolio. Look, I absolutely love everything you've just said, and I'm loving how I'm learning as, as we go along in, in, in this conversation. Um, what would you say, that sounds, and on top of that, Steve, you make it sound really easy. You make it sound like black and white. There's not that much to think about is, you know, and I think what you were saying is fear and greed. These are the two extremes, if you want, and you kind of want to be in the middle in a certain way to make it happen and, and, and to make it work. Having said that, what would you say, and you've got loads of clients that you work with, you help them through their investment strategy. Um, of course, you don't tell them what stocks to buy or whatnot, but you explain and you help them with the strategies that you'd be using in terms of allocation of, of investment strategy. Um, what would you say, however, you've seen the biggest mistakes your clients have done? And I'm guessing after those mistakes is when they come to you and say, please help. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think people need a, an all-weather portfolio and they need an all-weather financial plan so that if they get knocked off that plan, then they know where to get back to. And the problem is that people don't have a proper plan. Uh, they've been, either they haven't invested at all, or they, um, they are too scared to invest enough, therefore greatly extending their time to retirement or they've been tricked into some kind of long-term savings plan or whole life insurance plan. And therefore the fees are very high, uh, invested in very, very strange, expensive products. And therefore they're not seeing the growth that they that they typically get. So I think people, people tend to, to make those mistakes where either they don't invest at all, 
or they don't have any purpose for their money. They don't say, right, I need this amount as a cash buffer. I need this amount for major expenditures coming up. Therefore, I can put uh, this amount into the stock market upfront and every single month. They just don't have that plan. They don't have any clue as to where they want to end up, which is really, that really grounds everything. I think like decide where you want to end up and then work to, in life and then work towards that. Um, and, and then I think with the investing side of things, people tend to either take like far too little risk or just like crazy risk. And so I've, I've seen lots of people, for example, who um, barely have any investments, but they've invested, you know, maybe a bit of uh, a bit of Apple, a bit of Meta, Tesla, you know, individual stocks that seemed really good in 2020, but you know, maybe not necessarily doing as well now. And then uh, they've got some crypto. They've just they're just bouncing around. Uh, then they might be in a savings plan because they met some nice financial advisor who persuaded them to get into it, and they don't track what's in there, uh, and so they're not investing consciously, and they're not saying I need to control my finances. I need to know what's going on. So all I do really is educate people on how to save and invest sensibly by yourself for the long term in a very diversified way. And what you realize is that investing is very simple, right? If you if you want to buy a global stock fund, like you can buy one fund that covers the entire world, like 3,800 stocks or whatever. You can buy it at the click of a button. It takes five minutes a month. Have you got five minutes a month? Absolutely you do. And you invest in the same thing every single month, no matter whether the stock market is going up, or whether it's going down, it doesn't matter. And once you realize how easy it is and you understand the process for doing that, then everything else just falls away. And I think the mistake people make is that they always feel that they need to engage their brain. They need to be clever. They need to be looking at investing charts. They need to be looking at top uh, top stock tips uh, or, or they need to be like timing whether to jump into the market or jump out. And if they get it wrong, they're going to lose everything. Um, and it's really not about that. It's it's about putting your process in place where you can invest regularly in a very diversified way every single month and then get your brain out of the way. Save your brain for work, for family, for your hobbies. Don't bring your brain into investing because you'll regret it. Oh, you definitely made me feel very much better about myself right now. This is what you've just described about just global fund, keep it, do it every month. This is pretty much you've just described my strategy. I, I you know, I've got two kids and got a business to run. And truly enough, there is enough going on in our lives for us to go worry and try things out here and there that we don't understand. And I think my big message to everybody is always, if you don't understand it, don't get into it unless you go and actually learn about it. And unless you really understand the mechanics behind what you're investing, then it makes sense. Uh, but I agree with you, you know, it's 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 time is an essence. Is, is, and I think it's consistency versus in out at every little movement there is on the market, consistency and long-term horizon, would you say would be probably the name of the game when it comes to asset allocation? Yeah, I think so. I think you need to be uh, hugely diversified. Uh, you need to have that long time horizon and know when you're slowly moving towards having to be more conservative. You need to keep your fees low and uh, and therefore not invest in like crazy active funds or, or anything too clever. And, and once you do that, so around educating yourself, you know, the danger is that you you uh, find some expensive stock trading course on, on the web and feel like you need to know that. Um, you need to know about um, financial independence. You need to learn about passive index investing. 
and that is really it and once you once you know that then that's all you need to do and then you just get on with it and 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 if the markets go up and down doesn't matter you need to be very zen about these things steve that was incredible thank you so much to share your ideas and thoughts and even your experiences with your clients that was really powerful even to myself um so thank you for for sharing all these um all these ideas with us and, and i'm sure everybody would have found it absolutely as interesting as, as i did uh, thank you it was a real pleasure and uh, next time hopefully my my scenery won't fall over <laughs> i'll have it fixed by then in my new house thank you steve thank you and as you would say, investment does not have to be that difficult. It is really about the, the time horizon. It's about the fear versus the greed. And it is really about having a goal, understanding where you're heading to before you get that investment strategy in place.